Welcome to the Future of Medicine podcast, where we believe that feeling great and living a long time is possible and that your healthcare should help you get there. I'm your host, Dr. Aaron Wenzel. My hope is simple, that this show will help you along your journey to becoming the healthiest, strongest, and most powerful version of you possible. Now, let's jump into the show. Hey, everybody. Before we jump into this episode, I want to give you a quick overview. This episode is about a dementia update for 2023. And Jen and I are going to go into a brief overview, how to be thinking about this, identifying some big failures over the past couple of decades on this topic, why that's important, and what we believe holds the key to unlocking great outcomes for dementia in the future. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this episode of the Future of Medicine podcast. I am your host, Dr. Aaron Wenzel. I am joined, as always, by the lovely and talented Jennifer Justice. Hey, Doc. Hey, hey. How are you? I'm good. How are you? We have been busy. Oh, yeah. I think we had to reschedule this three times. Yes. We attempted three times (laughs) yesterday to get this done. Just kidding. (laughs) Let's move it. Uh, But that's the way it gets sometimes when you take care of humans. That's right. Um, Things come up. This episode is all about uh, updates for 2023 around dementia. Mm -hmm. One of the big three. We've done a deeper dive on cardiovascular disease updates cancer updates, and we've had some pretty significant updates in those two fields. This episode is all about dementia. I think as a brief introduction, it's worth redefining what dementia actually is. I think there's a lot of feeling and emotion that gets drummed up when you talk about dementia. Mm -hmm. Um, But actually, the definition of dementia... um, It's not a specific disease, but rather a generalized term used to describe um, an impaired ability to remember things or make decisions. Mm -hmm. And and there are many ways that that outcome can be realized. Having a dementia experience, uh, either as a patient or as a family member of someone, I think it's important to just realize that all dementia is not created equal, Mm -hmm. even though the experience may be somewhat similar on the back end. Um, There are three different subtypes. What are they, Jen? The three different subtypes are Alzheimer's type dementia, which makes up about 60 to 80 percent of the dementia cases. So this is the majority. Um, Vascular dementia, which is about 10 to 20 percent of the cases. And then the Lewy body dementia or Parkinson's, which is about 10 percent. And the most sinister one or the one that everybody is afraid of especially as members in our practice if they're very forward thinking about their health is alzheimer's Mm because it really just kind of seems to show up out of nowhere right there's really maybe some warning signs but um you know just shows up and then it's really devastating we've talked about this before on a prior podcast of alzheimer's but it's not only devastating for the the person that experiences it but the family as well to kind of watch them go through that um and unfortunately the sad news is or the depressing news is there's really nothing you can do about it once you once you get it and it hits you know we have some medical therapies out there now but i don't know that they're as effective as they were hoping when they first uh introduced them out yeah no we we've we've got a few therapies uh we'll talk a little bit about some of those um that we have um later in this episode, but, but certainly Alzheimer's is the disease that I find almost in my conversations with my, the members, mm-hmm. 
and even non-members just in conversation, Alzheimer's and dementia seem to be, when someone says dementia, most people reflexively think Alzheimer's. Right. Uh, and I think it's probably warranted, uh, but for the sake of completeness and, and comprehensive and accuracy, I think it's important to mm -hmm. differentiate the other two. The majority of this talk is really about Alzheimer's type. Mm -hmm. Number one, it's what everybody's thinking about. It's what on pe what's it's what's on people's mind. It is the most common. And as you mentioned, in my th this is the gospel according to Wenzel. Um, I think it is the cruelest of all diseases. Mm -hmm. Well, it's the number seven killer, so... <laughs> yeah, not only it's, is it a top ten killer of humans, <clears throat> mm -hmm. uh, latest data we look at is number seven. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's massively significant, and it is unspeakably cruel. Mm -hmm. On the front end of the disease, it's cruel to the patient, the forgetting, the anxiety, the stress on the front end. Late-stage dementia, once it is really advanced, that table seems to really turn on the family members mm -hmm. and the caretakers of the demented patient. It's just to lose the ability to know who you are mm -hmm. um, is uniquely painful for mm -hmm. family members who are grieving that loss and are very aware of what has been lost. Um, and it just, it just has that unique characteristic of a of a specific kind of pain and suffering yeah. that I don't find in any other disease right. process. Uh, there may be one, <clears throat> I'm just not aware of. Well, and similarly in that, in that vein is we have medical therapies that really aren't great, but we also don't have diagnostic capabilities to really detect it like we do for other chronic diseases, like yeah, heart disease, cancer, you know, those type of things where we're way far, farther ahead. Yeah, I mean, I think I think the, and again, we'll, we'll we'll dig into this later. But the punchline is, we've kind of lost about two and a half decades mm -hmm. because we were chasing one thing we thought it was. Yeah, and it really hadn't made a difference. Yeah, and we've got some therapies like Aricept that you can add, and it's reasonably effective at slowing the progression. But we have zero options for mm -hmm. reversal. We have zero options for um, um, prevention. We don't have an actual therapeutic mm -hmm. that works. Mm -hmm. um, so that, th as if we needed one more thing to to make us have angst about this. Yeah. Um, the hits keep coming. Uh, I think as we think about this, and we'll as we move into these next two sections of the of this episode, we're going to talk about how we risk stratify for someone looking out into the horizon when it comes to uh, risk stratifying for dementia, specifically Alzheimer's. And, you know, like all risk stratification, we look at modifiable and non-modifiable risk factors. We put them in two buckets and we manage what we can manage and we, we modify what is modifiable. So moving into the risk stratifying, updates on risk stratifying for dementia, um, I, I think especially in light of what we were just saying, where we've lost decades mm -hmm. of time, research, advancement. Like we know almost nothing more than we did 20, 25 years ago, other than chasing plaques and tangles, mm -hmm. the, the, the physiologic um, 
anatomical changes to an Alzheimer's brain where mm -hmm. you get these plaques and tangles. We used to think that was the cause. And what we're finding is, is it's a late finding and it's way downstream and it's something far different and that preventing and targeting these plaques and tangles doesn't do anything. Mm -hmm. And that's all we've been focused on for 20 years. Mm -hmm. It's transparently, in my estimation, and people who I admire who are thought leaders here, it is the single greatest failure in all of medicine mm -hmm. to date. Wow. That we, something this significant, number seven killer, mm -hmm. that we are absolutely no further along over the last 20 to 30 years. Yeah. It's it's wild. <clears throat> Especially for a disease like this that really doesn't discriminate, right? Like no. we have statistics on risk stratification for other diseases like heart disease, sure. you know, based on race, gender, you know, all those things, mm -hmm. but like I don't know that we can definitively say like women get Alzheimer's more than men and maybe I'm just not up to date on those statistics, but it seems to me like it's it's non-discriminatory. Yeah, at this point, there's nothing compelling. Yeah. Um, I think in situations like this, and there are other situations that are like this in medicine, many actually, mm -hmm. it's just none that I'm aware of that are this emotionally charged. Yeah. I think that you must, in situations like this, start with what you know. Mm -hmm. And what do we know to be true? And for some of you listening, this may be old news. Um, some of you, it may be a great reminder and for others, it may be the first time that you're hearing some of these things. Um, but he here, here are, are what we know, uh, and that is that it appears that screening and diagnostics, so in other words, being able to identify it earlier, which we may be seeing some incremental improvement in that with early imaging, neurologic testing, um, cognitive decline screening, it's fair to say we're making advancement in early detection or flagging, red flagging, caution, caution, caution. But it's not changing the outcome because we're missing something that is very significant. Mm -hmm. As we were prepping for this, I used an analogy and it seemed to resonate with you and I really like it the more I think about it, it's almost like we have become, if we were really, really, really good at identifying and diagnosing pneumonia, mm -hmm. that doesn't do any good unless you have antibiotics that kill the pneumonia. Right. We just become aware of the thing that ultimately will kill you earlier. Mm -hmm. Is that better or worse? I don't know. <laughs> right. Um, but we can potentially identify high-risk people, we can potentially tag them early and say, it's it's started, and our best effort is to add some Aricept or that class of medicine to hopefully, if we're lucky, have it slow mm -hmm. the progression of the disease, but there is nothing in our arsenal to reverse it yeah. or to cure it or prevent it. Uh, and that is a grim um, situation. Mm -hmm. um, so that basically means that the, the we need some breakthrough in either therapeutics, in um, modifiable risk factors, mm -hmm. like what can we actually do? I think the greatest area of potential breakthrough is in the modifiable risk factors. There is a growing body of evidence and thought leaders who are believing that Alzheimer's dementia is more of a diabetes type three. Mm -hmm. I've heard that before. Specifically insulin resistance at the level of the brain. 
which is a fascinating concept to me. That's mm-hmm. not settled science, uh, but it is very compelling and it's very intriguing and it's plausible. If that were the case, then modifiable risk factors would be the same modifiable risk factors that we give you for cardiovascular disease, metabolic disease, cancer, mm-hmm. um, modifiable risk stratification. So, you know, all the classic things. Uh, as we're talking about it, what are the modifiable risk factors um, that we look at for things like the vascular dementia? And the Sure. So vascular dementia, <clears throat> it's more the kind of like what we look at for cardiovascular disease. So it would be the blood pressure, yeah. you know, hypertension, know your numbers, get that under control, um, control diabetes, um, or the, the metabolic conditions of elevated insulin, elevated hemoglobin A1C, mm-hmm. elevated blood sugar, um, smoking. Big time. Big time. So quit smoking. Um, a really huge one that we're zeroing in on now is uh, lipid management or cholesterol management. Mm-hmm. So you know, again, knowing your numbers, knowing your ApoB levels that we've talked about here before and getting those down. Um, and also a history of tra- traumatic brain injury or stroke that could, could lead yeah. uh, to vascular dementia as well. Yeah, vascular dementia just being, mm-hmm. there's a vascular origin, so vascular, their vasculature delivers blood mm-hmm. and oxygenated blood to tissue, so mm-hmm. there's some compromise in that. So somebody who's had a stroke or traumatic brain injury or has diabetes or vascular disease mm-hmm. because of the diabetes or smoking, or high blood pressure, that's going to compromise blood flow. Therefore, there's going to be brain injury because of lack of mm-hmm. um, I was listening to a podcast, and I can't remember who said it, but um, they were talking about brain health, and they said what's good for the heart is good for the brain. Yeah. And I really liked that analogy because it's like, yeah, you know, you don't want to smoke. You, you want to keep your blood pressure under control. All of these things through diet, exercise, mm-hmm. you know, that we, that we beat the drum about incessantly here. It's kind of connected. Yeah, I mean, at minimum, it will help you modify your risks for vascular dementia. Mm -hmm. If we have some good fortune and we can prove and get some breakthrough that there is, in fact, an insulin resistance component to Alzheimer's type dementia, then these same efforts will also facilitate risk stratifying Mm -hmm. meaningfully Mm -hmm. uh, towards Alzheimer's, which is the big gorilla mm-hmm. in the room. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when we talk about non-modifiable risk factors, I mean, I think as we look at all disease, age is number one, right? Mm-hmm. The longer we are on the planet, area under the curve, total exposure over total time, age is the number one driver of chronic disease, period, the end. It's above everything else. And, and we forget about that. Just the older we are, probability says the more like the more at-bats, we're going to get some chronic disease. And dementia is certainly one of those. Um, both Alzheimer's and non-Alzheimer's <laughs> type. It's a mouthful. It really is. Um, what's unique around Alzheimer's is there seems to be a very clear genetic familial component. It's fascinating to me. We do see it run, not always, there's always a first, mm-hmm. right? But we do see a strong correlation between family members where this disease shows up in subsequent generations Mm -hmm. uh, and it tends to be a little earlier and a little more aggressive each time so a thorough family history is absolutely critical to have eyes on a potential unique risk 
um, that needs to be watched. Mm-hmm. And again, we can't treat it. Right. But if we get eyes on it early, then we might be able to slow it down long enough to catch some sort of medical technological breakthrough on a therapeutic, mm-hmm. which would be the hope at this point. Right. That's that's where my hope lies. Um, talk to us a little bit about we we uncovered uh, some literature around the APOE mm-hmm. genotype, uh, and this is really unique. This is probably the most significant, well-known scientific risk linked to this familial genetic um, aspect of Alzheimer's disease. And I think if you have not heard of APOE, this is, write this down. I mean, th- <laughs> right. this is a huge thing because we, we're not giving you a bunch of new stuff, mm-hmm. but this is the newest of the significant stuff that r- people really need to hear about this. Yeah. So we um, add this to our new member blood panels here because mm-hmm. we feel like it's really important for our members to know their genotype but it's APOE um, it's a blood test and so we send it off to the lab it comes back and it will let us know there's these um, these genotypes so you'll get a copy from mom and a copy from dad and they're labeled as like E2 E3 and E4 mm-hmm. so we will look at a, a APOE genotype and we'll see if you are um, for example just E3 I'm I'm E33, so I never had my APOE tested until like a couple months ago, but now I know. Um, so you got one copy of APOE3 for mm-hmm. mom and, and the same from dad. Um, gene. So your APOE, one copy from mom and dad, it's a three and a three. Yep, I'm a three three. Um, and it's it's linked back to how your body, as I understand it, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, processes lipids, right? Yeah. So it goes back to this theory of again correlated, not causative, right. but it's starting to build some pretty compelling evidence that mm-hmm. this is once again lipidology, metabolic energy metabolism. Um, there's a lot going on mm-hmm. here, and APOE three. So a three three would be considered neutral a neutral risk factor because it's what we call wild type. Mm -hmm. It will be the most common type. It's what the average person will have a three and a three. Mm -hmm. What we really, and that wouldn't be very interesting Mm -hmm. if everyone was three, three, where it gets really interesting is if you don't have a three and a three, you have either a two or a four Mm -hmm. or a two and a two or a four and a four. Yeah. So two is considered protective. That's right. Doesn't mean you're out of the woods Um, in a four you are at increased risk. And, you know, I think we have to give the caveat here, the, the disclaimer here that, again, with anything genetic, you what you do from a modifiable risk factor standpoint will either turn on or turn off those genes. Yeah. So if you're a 4-4, four, four, yeah, that puts you at increased risk. Does that mean, Doesn't mean you're, gonna you're get destined it. to get no, Alzheimer's? Right. We don't believe that to be true. It just means that as we've talked about with offense versus defense before, you really need to stay on offense with your modifiable risk factors. Yeah, right? like uh, I'm thinking of an analogy right now. I mean, I have a genetic predisposition that you don't need to run a genotype on. You can just look at me and know <laughs> that guy's at risk for melanoma. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right? I, I have a very, now I'm lucky because of the, the phenotype, the way the genes look, th- this is a phenotype, what I, the light skin, freckles, um, you know, uh, Northern European descent, high risk for 
um, melanoma. Mm-hmm. Does that mean I'm going to get melanoma? No, it doesn't. I'm just high risk. Mm-hmm. Same thing with uh, type four. Mm-hmm. You're, if you're a four four, it's a it's a flag. Careful, careful, careful. Right. If if you needed any extra motivation to stop smoking or lose weight or correct your insulin resistance, these risk factors compound. They are nonlinear, mm-hmm. which means one plus one doesn't equal two. One yep. plus one might equal seventy four. Right. These are hockey stick nonlinear compounding risk factors over time. Yeah. And essentially getting an APOE genotype, the reason we do it is we're hunting for four. And you might not have a single copy of four, which doesn't mean you won't get Alzheimer's. And it, it, But if you have one copy versus two copies, you can understand at least some implied increased risk. Mm-hmm. And obviously having two copies is a stronger indicator than having a single copy. Yes. So if you were a 4.2 or a 4.3, that would be better than a 4.4. Four. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's really, really important. Um, the last section as we move in, like basically, what are we going to do about all this? You know, I right. think you and I need to have just a wrapping up, closing thought conversation around given what we know, given all that we don't know, how are you and I thinking about this? And can we package that in language that would be useful to someone listening in 2023, moving into the future? Mm-hmm. And you and I end up on these difficult conversations talking often with the first step of just being honest. Mm-hmm. You know, all progress begins with telling the truth. I feel like every episode that comes out. <laughs> I love that quote. But it's so timely and pertinent because we can get in the weeds. And... I think it's really um, taking a lot of the pressure off knowing exactly what to do because being honest, we don't know. Yeah. We we don't know most things mm-hmm. about dementia. We just know that we don't want it. Yeah. So just starting with, hey, it's 2023 update on uh, dementia. I don't have much new to give you. Let's just be honest with mm-hmm. it. However... Uh, there is good news, and that is that we have multiple areas of potential breakthrough that are actively being pursued right now. I have no time horizon on when we might hear some things, but we we could see breakthroughs in tools where we could better risk stratify someone, um, where we could have a, a higher degree of accuracy on whether someone actually will acquire this disease. We could get breakthrough in diagnostic screening tools. Mm -hmm. We could have breakthrough on uh, research pointing towards a particular diet or behavior modification that could lower. I mean, can you imagine if this was linked to chronic fatigue Mm -hmm. or something or gluten or, uh, or in fact, diabetes type three. I mean, these Mm -hmm. would be game changer breakthroughs. Mm -hmm. But to me, the smoke and gun kind of like what we have talked about that had changed the game for heart stratification with clearly in this virtual heart caths and grail for cancer screening. Mm -hmm. Like the equivalent for Alzheimer's dementia for me is going to be once we have the proverbial antibiotic for it. Right. Hey, we're going to do all that we can to prevent it. But if you get it, we have a tool tool set for that. Yeah. We can treat it. Don't you agree? Oh, absolutely. I mean, as as wonderful a time it is to be alive in 2023 from a medical perspective, this still seems to elude us. And, and that may sad. seem a weird twist <laughs> of, of narrative for anyone who's listened to our c- content because we're, we're, you and I in our DNA 
are preventative in mm -hmm, nature. Mm -hmm. uh, but it doesn't do very, it doesn't do society very good to do all that you can to prevent pneumonia. And despite your best effort, you get pneumonia. You're going to die without antibiotics. Right. You will eventually become septic and mm -hmm, die mm -hmm. from multi-system organ failure. That being said, I want to steward antibiotics, and I don't mm -hmm. think everybody needs antibiotics. And like, be thoughtful. Mm -hmm. The fact that we don't have something, despite our best efforts, if you get it, makes this uniquely complex and stressful. Yeah. Um, and I think, I think it creates this situation where. There are many things that we have conversations with private members that are similar to this, and, and you're left um, in a difficult situation, and I find, and I'll be curious to hear your thoughts on this, taking a two-stepped approach at this mm -hmm. and saying, first and foremost, do I, the person who's concerned about the thing, have the right team in place to where I can have these conversations early, often, where my goals and values are aligned, where it's a safe place and I can be curious mm -hmm. and I can, I can just talk about these things? Mm -hmm. Or am I left to do this all alone? Yeah. I, th I think so many times we just take that for granted and it's like, it's the first domino. You've mm -hmm. gotta have a team. Mm -hmm. The human experience is not meant to be in isolation. Uh, and if you have any medical thing, especially dementia, as a primary concern for you moving into your future, ensuring while you don't have dementia that you have the right team in place is really a wonderful starting point. Mm -hmm. The back half of that coin is I would encourage anybody listening to this to become fully committed to being their own advocate. Oh, yeah. Self-advocacy is something that I have been thinking a lot about. I've been journaling, and I'm going to be creating more content around self-advocacy. I don't think it's enough in isolation because you can you you can end up down in the weeds. Mm -hmm. But in combination with the right team, oh my goodness! Look, doctors are busy. Yeah, they care. They're good people. But if you're not in a concierge model like we are. And even we are we are the least busy docs we know. <laughs> we get busy. Mm -hmm. You know, in, in, in a traditional model, you might be seeing 30, 40 patients a day. Yeah. There's no time. Mm -hmm. and, and I will say, you know, I, I talk to all of the prospective members that come into our practice before they commit to us. And a growing number of them, the conversation that I have is around that, that same topic that they want to be their own health advocate, mm. but their physician or their team is just too busy to help them. Yeah. Or they're not up to speed on ApoB or ApoE or, you know, all of these things that kind of we talk about. Or maybe they've listened to the podcast and they're like, I took ApoB to my family physician and they don't even know what to do with that you know yeah. and it's not their fault it's just like you said they're just so busy um but being your own health advocate and staying up to date on all of these kind of trending things medicine moves slow but it can also move fast right <laughs> um and so hmm. there's a lot of noise around that space mm -hmm. too so really kind of cutting through to the truth of what makes sense for you and your health 
But a lot of these, you know, people that I talk to, they they choose us or come to us because they are just frustrated with the the sick care model. Yeah, and it's many not preventative focused at all. Fast is slow, and yeah, slow is fast. Right, and and we tend to like to be slow is fast. Mm-hmm. You know, by limiting our membership and by we've created a world where we, for the most part, we don't have to watch the clock. Yeah, and we can have these conversations. And if you're listening to this and you're not convinced that you have the right team, go find your team. Mm-hmm. Like, it's worth it. Yeah, and especially. If you're sitting there listening to this and you don't have any real issues, you have some concerns about the future, like, ding, 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 this is the time to do it. Right. Um, Because under the gun, getting a diagnosis that you weren't expecting or having a sudden shift or change in your health, the optics of your health for the future, that can be a very scary journey. And if you don't feel confidence that you have your team, that in that time of need, Mm -hmm. you have your people, there's a lot of regret that yeah. tends to accompany that experience and a lot of um, accelerated anxiety. Mm-hmm. And I just, I hate seeing people suffer. Yeah. Um, but I think find your team and you have to be your own self advocate mm-hmm. in the setting of the right team. And and this is the time, I wish we had more to give that would be useful today around a topic that we all think about, um, but it is, Let's have an honest conversation about where it's been a failure. Let's have an honest conversation about where we're at and how to use what we do know Mm -hmm. and manage all the things that we don't know. But the big thing is keep eyes wide open. I've shared with you before in the Army we had this thing um, where one person would say stay alert and the whole squad would say stay alive. Mm -hmm. That's good. There's something about stay alert, stay alive. Keep eyes open to the things that are important to you. Mm -hmm. That combined with the right team, I think really sets you up for the best odds of not, of avoiding icebergs, but if you do find yourself up against an iceberg, to navigate it in an elegant way where you can have the best possible outcome. Absolutely. Jen, it's always a pleasure. Same. Uh, I wish people knew how much we enjoyed the process of preparing and thinking and um, and delivering this. It's a real joy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I hope it's helpful to people. I do too. Yeah. Yeah. This is a scary topic, but it, it uh, you know, as we've said before, doing the things uh, preventatively to delay it is important. It's very. Well, everybody, I hope this episode was useful to you. Share it. Uh, leave comments if you like it. And uh, until we meet again, take care. I want to thank you so much for your attention. Listen, I don't take it for granted. It means the absolute world to me. You can find out more about today's episode at brentwoodmd.com forward slash podcast. There you'll find the show notes, all the related links to this episode and tons of other resources. If you haven't already subscribed, please do so. And if you've already subscribed, then it would mean so much to me if you left a review. If you think we'd be a good fit to work together or you would just simply like to know more about the concierge services that I provide my private clients, email us at membership at brentwoodmd.com. And now for the obligatory disclaimer. This podcast is for general information only and does not constitute the practice of medicine or the giving of medical advice as no doctor-patient relationship has been formed. The content of this podcast is not intended 
to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Users should seek the advice of their own medical professional providers.